This episode was recorded in 2023. Welcome to the Spring Back Guide podcast, formerly known as the New Leaf podcast, where I share the stories of a bunch of amazing women whose professional lives and identities have all been transformed for the better by becoming a mum. My name is Letty and I'm the founding coach of the Spring Back Guide, created to get you back to work happy after your baby. This podcast is made for you. Ready to dive in? Okay, let's go. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Rebecca Anderson Davies. How are you doing? I'm really good. Thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. So I will just describe how we know each other. Basically, I know that you've got this amazing new book that is out and we will be talking about that imminently, I'm sure. But I was approached by Rebecca's people. How exciting that you have people. I know. And they said... <laughs> be great to have her on the podcast and then I wasn't doing it at that time but you just stuck in the back of my mind followed you on Instagram and I was like I think this is my kind of guest I think this would be really interesting and just because of the topic of your book and what Spring Back Guide is now doing I think there's so much crossover especially in your views on work-life balance and how that terminology has got to change and how we can really challenge that norm so I'm really excited to get onto that but I am going to ask you though and what I ask all my guests is where in the world are you right now and what is around you what can you see in front you. So I'm in my home office at the moment. So I'm in the basement. So I can't see a lot except for these very small walls. So tell me about your family. Who is in it? So me and my husband have been together nearly 20 years, married for 13. We've got two sons. Our oldest guy is nearly five and our little guy just turned two. We've also got two very noisy, very cuddly Burmese cats. Oh, love Burmese cats. Okay. So what did you do pre-babies? In many ways, like my career before and after is not that different. So I've been an investment banker since I was 18. I got my first internship in the city in the summer before I went to university. And then I interned and temped really in like back office roles during my degree. I went on to a grad scheme in the autumn of 2007. So that timing was in many ways good because it means I got a job, but in many ways bad because I then like lived and breathed the financial crisis as it was happening. And then time unfurled and I actually just moved roles. I was in my previous role for for nine years so I was doing that job before I had kids and while I was having kids and now I've moved into something different still at the same firm I, think, I guess the bit that looks a bit different is the social media book writing yeah all of that jazz and that's really unusual because most people I have on here their world and their working world specifically is so different pre-babies versus post-babies and of course there's all sorts of political structural reasons for that but actually I think that kind of flows really nicely into why you've written this book in the first place and the fact that it's not necessarily about switching up your work environment so I'm itching to get onto that but what are the kind of origins then of where you are now so even if your career hasn't changed necessarily obviously where you are right now has really changed so tell me a little bit about that. I think it's really hard to have kids and you've already mentioned like the structural kind of challenges I think that exist and that like I think the system is pretty broken it's hard to have kids and not feel quite radicalized I think by that process because you just realize like how difficult it is to do it with any sense of ease in a world that is not set up to make it easy. And if I look at my industry, there wouldn't have been many people like me doing the jobs that I'm doing and certainly weren't when I started 20 years ago. But still, the reality is, especially cost of living crisis, that most families need two working parents to make life work. And 
that's really hard to do and raise a family. And so, you know, why I get to do a lot of that in incredibly privileged fashion because of the industry that I work in, it also just like rings really true to me, like constantly that, you know, you shouldn't have to be an investment banker to be able to enjoy parenting. Yeah. And it's A, that's ironic because I don't think a lot of people would have thought that would have been true and I wouldn't have either. So a little part of me is like, yay, come, it's great in banking. But another part of me is like, it shouldn't be this hard and it's not this hard in other countries, right? The Nordics have this nailed proper state childcare that works really well and doesn't break your bank. It doesn't have to be as hard as it is. Exactly. And I want to pick up on the word that you used, radicalized, because that's a really interesting way of looking at it. I've never thought about that word in this context, but you're so right. It's almost impossible not to feel, and like for want of a better word, I just feel really angry a lot of the time. And it's this rage that you're just sitting on where you're like, this is so messed up. Yeah, radicalized is the right word. I've always been on the feminist train, but even the friends that really weren't that way, they've had kids and you could just see the cogs turning. They're like, but I can't afford that. And it's like, yeah. I'm more often than not the person that pays the price and the relationship is the woman. Yeah. And the ongoing results of that, the missing women in the workplace, the missing voices that would change the system in the first place. And it becomes this negative spiral instead of becoming this positive spiral. Yeah. So I do feel I'm raising two incredibly privileged blonde haired, blue eyed boys. Mm -hmm. And so I want to bake in a to change for them because I'd love them to be able to be the present parents we've got to be and my husband has taken share parental leave and he's around with them a lot more than I am at the moment but more than that yeah these systems you really need to change for all of us so obviously investment banking not necessarily traditionally the most female friendly environment I would say quite a male (laughs) look it's a it's still a very male dominated industry and look there is a night and day transformation since I started and part of me I couldn't have imagined how well it would work for me as a Mm. working mother in the future and I think it's one of the reasons why there are women here now is because all the women that I started with looked forward at some point in their mid late 20s hey this isn't going to work so we've got to start doing something different so we're in the right place when we need it when actually the industry has changed a lot and things like six months full pay maternity leave and six months of the firm I work at has six months full pay parental leave irrespective mm-hmm. of gender and things like that are really transformative on an individual level and a company level so I'm not saying it's perfect but I think the issues that most of us face I think are reflective of the issues in wider society and like mm-hmm. I certainly feel now I'm running a business running a team that I get to set some of the boundaries and create the mm-hmm. culture that would have helped me that's so amazing because traditionally it's not famous for that and the same goes for my background there were firms one of them in particular that was not madly famous for having loads of women had the best at leave ever and it was like well that is one way to do it I remember colleagues of mine female colleagues switching and saying I want to ask about mat leave but I'm terrified that they're gonna then assume Assume. that I'm going to go off and have a baby straight away. So I don't even want to ask, but I need to ask, but I'm 23. So I don't want to ask, but I should ask, but what do I do? And it's just like, it just shouldn't. It's a big bugbear of mine that companies don't publish this stuff. Like it should be available information. You shouldn't have to ask about it. This is such a deciding factor. It is. And I've had this conversation with so many in my previous role when I was a relationship manager, and I've had this conversation with so many CEOs and COOs in the financial industries. And some of them, okay, the 
message and some of them really do <laughs> but like again this is why diversity is so important yeah. because until you have people with those lived experiences and the places that can make the decisions like yeah. it's just not on the agenda okay so obviously investment banking we've talked about it changing and it's amazing that you're in a position of leadership now and are able to actually lead on these changes and that must feel like such an amazing feeling but do you feel that there were some assumptions that you were trying to challenge about what women did and didn't do post babies and did you feel like you'd broken the norm because you're not only banking you've got this whole other side hustle that you're now doing so you must have really felt like you were striking out there was definitely a bit of head scratching when social media started. This was back in 2015. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, no corporates were on Instagram. No. And so when I started told the firm that I had this yoga Instagram account and people were like, wait, you post videos of yourself doing yoga on the internet. And I'm like, oh, when you say it like that, it sounds really <laughs> strange. Um, but I promise it's not that strange. And so like that, journey that I went on and then people's kids were like yeah this is really normal and all corporate life joined social media too that became really normal and look a big part again conversations over glasses of wine but people are a bit like why do you do it because your day job you're doing great everyone's like you're going to go and be a yoga teacher or you're going to go and quit and become a writer I'm like no I'm not we're like then why I'm like because I didn't see anybody when I started in the industry, forget about women, anybody at all that seemed to be living a fulfilled and varied life. Everything looked to be all in on the job. And I didn't see people spending time with their families. I didn't see people that had other hobbies and passions. Mm. Now, the truth is that was happening, but in a very kind of cloak and dagger way. And so a big part of why I put myself out there, which is not without some risk, and some downsides, but because I want to show people that it is possible and it might not be for everybody. And it's also, let's not pretend that it's accessible to everybody for lots of the structural reasons that we talked about earlier, that it is possible and they do want to do it. Like it is, you can be a really evolved parent and have a big corporate job. Mm. You can have other passions, other hobbies that you do that really fill you up and that make you better at your career. Mm. And I want more women in the industry. I like want more women alongside me. And I think my responsibility is showing them that it's possible and that when you get here, it's awesome. Yeah, I love that. So inspired already. Because you said people were having possibly these fulfilled lives or spending time with their children, but then you said, but in kind of a cloak and dagger way. And why do you feel people felt the need to be hiding that side of themselves? Because it seems so strange. I think we see this currently with like the deification of entrepreneurship. Like there's this, if you are not all in on your work, you can't possibly be as good as you need to be at it. Mm. Whereas Mm. I really believe that, Mm. you know, I genuinely better at my job when I've spent time with my children because of how I've intellectually grown from writing my books and from promoting my books and from growing my community on Instagram I've got better at communication I use those skills on my job every day Mm. and those are just opportunities for growth that wouldn't have been available to me if I'd only done one thing all the Mm. time and so I just think it's a very old school culture of working that exists more or less in different industries and I think the kind of male dominatedness of finance probably made it worse as well Mm. a silver lining of COVID I think has been so many men in the industry getting to spend more time at home and realizing what they were missing out on 
And so that has got better as well. We're not done, right? There's a lot more transformation to come. And you said that spending time with your children is what helps you to be better at your job, obviously amongst all the other hobbies and passions that you have. But let's dig more into the children thing because I always like to do this with my guests, which is just go right back to the start of your motherhood journey. And I'm really going to go back to that point. But how was your pregnancy for you, your first one and your second one? So my first pregnancy was super straightforward. I was practicing yoga all the way through. I had a neat little bump. I still used to wear high heels at that point. I was running around in four or five inch stilettos, nine months pregnant. The pregnancy piece of it was really straightforward. And I loved it. I felt like I was hanging out with my son at work. And I loved like just having him burbling away at me during meetings and knowing that he was there and he was safe, but life being unchanged. It was a really lovely period of time. And was there any particular advice that you ignored And was there advice that you found really helpful? Because I always love to ask people this one as well. I think the birth advice is tricky. And so I have a bit more of a mixed view on that. The thing I really struggled with is that people told me that I would change, that like having a baby would change me. And I was very clear about my husband and I just had parental leave. So I knew the dates when I was coming back to work. And people outside of work were like, you don't have to commit to anything. But I was definitely apprehensive. I was like, oh my God, am I going to have this baby and then want to become a nurse mother and never walk into an office again? And that was scary Mm. because my whole life, my whole identity, our whole lives revolved around it. And so when he got here, I was kind of like waiting for the penny to drop. And instead of that, I'm a different person thing, one day I was like, I think I'm just still me. And Mm. I have all this extra love for this whole Mm. new part of my life. But I still felt very much me, which was Mm. a wonderful surprise. And actually, I think it's such a blessing, that realization, which I think personally has probably taken me about four years to come to, which is just that it's okay that you're still exactly the same person as you were before you had kids. And I've said this thousands of times on other episodes, but we were the first amongst our friends to have children. And then because COVID happened, I think it just delayed stuff for everybody by a couple of years. So my friends are just sort of getting pregnant now. And meanwhile, we're fully exiting the baby vortex because my youngest is nearly two. And it's a really strange moment because I almost feel like I'm re-entering the world again because I'm like okay well I don't have to be quite so dependent on this type of childcare or this type of childcare so like where are the parties where are we going what are we going to do and then all my friends are like I'm pregnant it's like fuck like yeah but I haven't changed and it's funny because when we've all then met up because we've had some child-free weekends or things where we go and do stuff I think there is a bit of surprise that like oh Letty's still the same as she was before she had kids and actually it was a really nice realization but I felt a huge amount of guilt around that which is wrong but I think because I just thought or I assumed that because I'm a mum now like I I can't go so crazy or I can't enjoy myself as much or be as out the narrative is that that everything will change and your priorities will change and like so many of those things are true right I didn't have this big priority beforehand now I do I know lots of women struggle with this identity piece and I think it's one of the real advantages of being a working mom is mm. that was a real consistent in my life. Yeah. And even now, like I joke, I go into the office because people listen to me and do what I say there. Yeah. Um, but I've never been happier than being a working mom. The two pieces yeah. of life are so different and so fulfilling and together is just the best combination. 
And it's really nice to hear that perspective. And it's part of the reason why I started the podcast, which is you hear most awful stories or people sharing, oh, then this happened and this awful thing. And when you have a baby, exactly the same thing's going to happen to you. And then I've interviewed so many women who, yes, that has happened. But as a result of that, they have found themselves they have found their passion they found what they wanted to do and actually the process of having a baby has given them that extra confidence to be like no I'm not going to put up with this or no I am going to strike out and do my own thing and actually having a baby can be the most amazing thing for your life and your career so that's really nice to hear that perspective and it you know again things are not always fair and it is a burden on women the men I was up against haven't had to take six months out to create the family that they could have exactly the same family without having mm-hmm. taken the time yeah. but you know part of that is biology mm-hmm. and the patriarchy together yeah. and we can fix the latter bit if we can't change the former bit Exactly. And people like, obviously, Jolie Brearley and all those people are doing such amazing work about that. amazing work, yes. You took the six months, you came back. Was there anything that you found surprising about coming back to work now as a mum versus having been pregnant in that type of industry or not really? I think the mistake I made, and I did this differently the second time round, I went back to work breastfeeding and pumping and I did not do that the second time around that was such an added layer of unnecessary stress and I had already made a decision I wasn't going to go for the full year so it's a very arbitrary difference between eight months or six months but that's what you're told right second time I was like I don't do my six months I really enjoyed breastfeeding but I found going back to work pumping and running home to try and do a feed before bedtime just took so much away from the experience and I know lots of mums especially if they've been away for the day really love that contact but what really surprised me the second time around is that I would come home and I would do a bottle and I would still get the comfort and I wouldn't half all the drama of leaking through my dress in a meeting and of my hormones being all over the place and not feeling like myself and yeah I didn't feel healed until I stopped breastfeeding and I wanted to be back at work and feel healed healed it's a really interesting word what was it about you that still felt hurt maybe is the wrong expression whilst breastfeeding just my body was so different I just felt very out of myself and I really felt the hormonal difference as well I'm hypermobile in some ways. The breastfeeding hormones made that worse. Because mm, all the relaxing, right? Yeah, yeah. Everything just felt much harder. I can't run my life and look after my kids in the way that I want to because I'm spending time pumping and I can't, mm. even with like amazing new hands-free pumps, like I can't run around with a toddler pumping. Yeah, and it's really interesting that you said that you didn't feel like yourself breastfeeding because I bottle-fed my first, he wasn't well. And then my second, I breastfed and I was really determined to have that journey because I hadn't had it with the first and I think it was part of this slightly warped this will heal me if I just make sure that I have this breastfeeding journey second time I did not feel like myself at all the whole time I was breastfeeding I actually felt really low and when you google it obviously there's this whole thing about when you stop breastfeeding you might experience a depression or whatever that was not my experience I had the complete opposite experience which was when I stopped breastfeeding actually I just felt so much better so I did my six months I ticked the box and then I was just like, I can't wait to stop. And because I just thought I knew, I know as soon as I thought I'll feel better. And I did, which I know people will be after me. 
I know, but like I'm a very rational person. And when I was breastfeeding, like if I would hear my son crying, I would get so distressed about it. Even he was with my mum or my husband, people that I trust who are amazing with him. I'd be frantic. Like, what are you doing to my baby? And then I stopped breastfeeding and I'm like, it's fine. (laughs) everyone I love is looking after him and it's just things like it's just human nature is an incredibly powerful thing it is so we talked about the feeding but how were your births and were they different from each other because I love asking about differences between people's births first time around I did the whole hypnobirthing thing I was super convinced that I have a high pain threshold I was like do all this yoga I can breathe this baby out and so I did the hypnobirthing course, loved all the preparation. And I was a week and a day overdue, went in. First time mom, they start kind of, well, not putting pressure on you, but I was like, you know what? There was no signs of anything happening. So I had a sweep and I did some acupuncture. So this um, is at 41. Exactly. Yeah, as soon as you hit 41, they're like, come on. like. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the morning, did acupuncture. And then my first contractions kicked in at 5.30 p.m. And by 8.30 p.m., I knew I wasn't dilating mm, or wasn't dilating funny. properly, but I was pretty distraught at that point. And I was catastrophizing the whole thing. I was like, if it's got this much worse from 5.30 to 8.30, and I know I'm only a couple of centimeters, what's it going to be like when I'm seven or eight or nine? And so we went to hospital at 10 and I still knew I wasn't that dilated. And so they checked me and I wasn't, maybe I was like three-ish, three or four centimeters. How did you feel like you knew? I just 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 felt like I knew. I just... It's like, I'm not dilated. You don't need to check. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't, I know. I, I was hopeful, but I knew. And then I got so upset at the hospital. And she was like, it's a bit quiet tonight. We've got a side room. Why don't you just wait there for a couple of hours? Have some paracetamol, have some whatever over-the-counter medications they could give me were. And we went into the side room for an hour and a half. And I was at eight centimeters. I like being in hospital calmed me down so much, (laughs) which is very much not what they tell you in hypnobirthing. And so they transferred me to the home from home suite, which is really what I wanted. I'd had like blood clotting issues. So they were keeping close eye on me, but I'd been bleeding from the sweep and I was bleeding a little bit too. Mm. And so they then moved me to the labor ward, which also everyone tells you that labor ward and home from home are these massive different things it was a bouncing ball in my first room and it was not a bouncing ball in my second room like they were exactly the same <laughs> and also I had like going to give birth in water thing and as soon as I had a contraction I was like I have to move I have to be upright or kneeling or leaning because yeah, you know right you must know I was like there's no way I can yeah. like do not put me near any water and then I had a really straightforward pushing birthing experience and he came out he was over nine pounds he was a big kid and then it all went a little bit pear-shaped because my placenta didn't come out and so then we had this like horrible half an hour of them trying to do that in the room and like more and more people coming in and my body kind of went into shock I was on gas and it's mental right I've never experienced this I had two seasons so I don't know but from everyone else that I have spoken to it's like yeah and then put the whole arm up there and it's the thing is you th- and you think you're done so you're like oh my god it's over done, and I'd yeah. been on gas and air through the whole birth which I loved and then they put it all away and then my body was convulsing and so I handed the baby to my husband and then they took me to theater I'd had this wonderful midwife team and a student midwife and the consultant that was on that night was a woman so I had this like wonderful it was 3 30 in the morning it was dark it was warm it was August and then they took me to theater and it was 10 degrees colder all the lights were on I'd been bleeding a lot so I was covered in blood I was naked 
and I had two male anesthesiologists and we had a 45 minute disaster of them trying to give me spinal anesthetic and at that point they were scolding me for moving and for all this stuff and they were like we're gonna have to give you a general I was like give me the fucking general (laughs) give me anything and then the midwives clearly clocked what was going on and so all these women that helped me through the birth came back in including the female consultant and were like boys you're done and got them out of the room and they're like let's like see where you are and see what we can do gave me the gas and air back and then they got it out and it was all fine but I'd gone for like an hour and a half at that point and so then they wheeled me back into the room I had a little cry I was like that was really bad but I was like I'm okay baby's okay it'll all be okay and what yeah anesthesia? what were they thinking I don't know and I went back and had a debrief with the consultant yeah. midwife for afterwards and she was reading the note she was like good oh, oh, oh dear and they hadn't filled in their section she was like yeah they knew that it messed up yeah second time around I was pregnant during COVID so my second guy was born in April 2021 I was super anxious that that Mm. my husband wouldn't be able to be there and again thank God for Jolie and all the work that she did because by then it was he we knew that he'd be allowed Mm. in and I spent a lot of time on zoom calls with the anesthesiologist team the consultant team being like I understand it's going to happen again it's not in our control but can we just make sure that, that I'm covered and that the midwife comes with me and I'm still on gas and air and like we just do all of these things and then we didn't need any of it so we'd been shielding through the last part from December to March when I got vaccinated we shielded which was a disaster (laughs) we needed for that long it was so bad my husband reduced his hours a little bit but we were basically both working full-time we didn't have a nanny looking after our two and a half year old January February March I don't even know how you did that. It's just crazy. We'd get up at six. We'd stagger our hours. We'd work Mm. for three or four hours. It was (laughs) hands down the worst few months of our lives. But we knew we needed to do it. We knew we needed to get me and the baby through. Because if I got COVID, it would have been a disaster. Because I'd had this history of blood clots and lung and heart damage. And so... I was convinced that this guy was going to be overdue as well. Mm-hmm. So I was due on a Saturday. I was like, I'll work until the Friday because why not? And then I'll have a week off and then life will be nice. And I hadn't seen any of my clients. And so I had this one client, the CEO and the female COO who I was super close to and had supported me so much through my career and so much through my first pregnancy. And they're like, can we see you? just get a coffee and I was like look I'm vaccinated you guys are vaccinated let's go and find somewhere outside to have an early dinner and so I was with them from 3 p.m to 7 30 p.m and the restaurant bought me a happy birthday cupcake because like I was so and pregnant. how many weeks were you I was this was 39 plus five okay so I was like I'm fine and that was I got home at 8 p.m hmm. we went to bed at 10 p.m and at 10 30 p.m I got out of bed and I was like I just don't feel very well but it's probably just because maybe I ate something bad and then at 11 30 my husband woke up and he was like what's going on I was like I don't can't be the baby but I just just and then give me a second while I had a contraction he's like okay I think we should go in I'm like I don't know sure I want to I was in total denial about it so eventually I was like okay no I think you're right this is happening every five minutes we should probably go (laughs) and so we called my parents my parents came over we left the house at half past 12 and it was quite a drive we were in the central London hospital but we'd moved out at that point so we drove 40 minutes to get back into London and so three photos on my camera roll me at dinner with my clients with my friends and this birthday cupcake I was crossing Vauxhall Bridge seeing the London Eye all lit up at 12.40 and then my son in my arms at 1.40 whoa <laughs> we got to the hospital at 10 to 1 they did that thing where they like 
take their time because like you don't look like you're that advanced and yeah. I was like no this is really happening I'm like oh, okay fine we'll check you and she checked me she's like whoa okay let's go yeah. uh, this is your nine centimeters I was like yeah I know by the way I know because yeah, <laughs> then they keep me the husband's out because of COVID I was like get me my fucking husband yeah and that was one we got into the room at one o'clock and he was born at 140 and the placenta was fine he was even bigger he was nine one and we were in St Thomas's hospital and we just had this like view of yeah, the sunrise. Yeah I was going to ask you when you said Vauxhall Bridge I was like St Thomas's, Thomas's. and they, they were so wonderful it's this beautiful room so we watched the sunrise over Westminster oh, wow. um, and we were home later it was wonderful. Oh second birth stories I am generalizing but you just learn all the stuff from the first birth I feel like you sort of get a handle on by the second one mostly yeah. most not always not always. Oh, my midwife then told me she was like yeah it's number three you've got to watch out for. Oh. I, like, I don't need to know that right now. I'm not sure I ever need to know that. Oh, God. Yeah, definitely don't need to do Yeah, that. no thanks. So let's stick with the good second version. Oh, that's so great, though. And there's nothing better. And because I didn't have it with my first birth, but with my second, there is just nothing better than being next to your baby and just the kind of peace of the labor what if there is peace on your particular labor what there was on mine and just being like, I made a baby today. That's a really cool thing to have done so yeah I, I did it and everyone's one. happy and safe yeah, and yeah exactly. yeah hi sorry to interrupt if you're feeling inspired by this episode to go back to work happy and confident then what are you waiting for I'm the founder of the Springback Guide and it's an online series of videos just six minutes long each so that anyone can fit it into mum life focusing on putting yourself first again getting your confidence back working better with your partner, and also showing you how to figure out whether you're in the right job at all. And of course, what to do if you're still not sure. If you're already back at work, but feeling stuck and unhappy, it's for you too. It's all designed and led by me to provide you with amazing career and life coaching at a fraction of the price of face-to-face coaching. If you're still not sure, or just want to see where I hang out, you can come and chat to me on Instagram at springbackguide. Okay, sorry about that. Let's crack on with the episode. Okay, so I want to get on to the book because I feel like there's so much crossover between the Springback Guide and this principle of how to make going back to work or balancing work and home a happy experience after you have kids in particular. And I feel like you're such a good example of this, but maybe not in the way that so many of my other guests have been where they've had a complete career change. So explain where did the book come from? How did it relate to your experience of motherhood? Or did it have nothing to do with motherhood? Was it just from your work? I would love it was to know. very much about motherhood. So you know, I had this kind of bizarre Instagram social media journey that happened because of my cats and because of my yoga practice and (laughs) the way I was fitting so much yoga in around my big job was practicing independently and so I taught this workshop and then I was pregnant for the first time and I was like I cannot teach and work and be a mum. So I was like, when I'm on maternity leave, I will write this workshop. I had two pieces of A4 that were my workshop notes. I was like, I'll write the workshop notes into a PDF. And I got totally carried away and wrote it into a book. And I self-published that in 2019. And then COVID happened and it got published for real by Hachette because mm. suddenly self-practice and once yeah. I get to a studio, it made sense. But up until that point, I'd used a pseudonym on Instagram. My handle was somewhat rad. My initials are rad and it kind of, you know, noting that I am not generally very radical. <laughs> and so the book came out in my real name. And so then uh, why I talked a lot about having this big career, I hadn't talked about the specifics of it, which were then to some extent public. 
and the conversation that that sparked because at this point I also become a mother everyone was like well like how are you doing doing all of this how are you doing work and social media and book writing and yoga practice and and like you seem pretty happy and I was like I'm happy like talk to us about work-life balance and I was like that's the problem I think work-life balance is an awful mental model and that's what it's meant to be right it's meant to be something that helps you interpret the world better and operate better in it work is not one thing life is not one thing and so I think the whole thing is just incredibly counterproductive at best and broken at worst and I talked a lot then about dialing things up and dialing things down and like maternity leave back into the big promotion was the perfect example of that and so during COVID I started writing the proposal for this book that took me three tries and a lot of time because I didn't do anything at the time we were shielding and trying to keep ourselves alive and feeding my son pasta but that was the genesis of it all and so hopefully back what's wrong with work-life balance and the framework that I share in the book is about what we replace it with which I call the dials. I thought it was really interesting how you said that balance is static because I think people often and what I've had over and over again on this podcast but also the inspiration for the guide which is how do you manage this juggle and it's always such a like I'm always got so many balls in the air and it's Tetris and actually all of those things imply motion whereas balance is static and actually I think we interpret this motion as being negative maybe because of that implication of the fact that we need balance everything needs to be steady like a pond with no ripples I always talk about the ebb and flow of parenting the energy between you and your partner will vary in different points so when you're pregnant it's way more of your energy that's going into something and maybe your partner's doing more of something else and then when you're going back to work maybe your partner's having to lean in a bit more to pick up more of that stuff that you were doing when you're on maternity leave and it is a fluid motion it is not a static thing and I thought that was really astute observation because like it's so true it's so true there's a whole bunch of data that like really backs this up because the language that we use shapes our experience in the real world the example I share in the book but there are others like if you prime working women to positively associate their work and their motherhood they go on to experience those things in a more positive way in the day that results if you prime them negatively they experience it negatively so like the language we use matters and so I don't talk about balance I want to talk about having a dialable life I want to be able to be responsive to the needs the season of life I'm in the needs and opportunities that are in front of me and I want that dynamism to be a feature not a battle that I'm fighting Mm. against. Work is not one thing. Life is not one thing. The story I'm telling a lot at the moment is last year when I got back from maternity leave in December 2021. I've been doing my old role for eight years. I was ready to move on to the next thing and push myself. So I needed to still do a really good job in my day job. I was looking for a new job in the firm. So lots of conversations about how I that transition. I was finishing the book, which is very much part of my work dials. And then my son, he was a new dial. There's my me dials, my yoga practice, but there's all these different component parts of life and I think the more expansively we can identify those component parts the better we're going to be able to navigate where we then put our time and our mm-hmm. energy mm-hmm. which is the next part but also when we look back to our dashboard the component parts of our life how we're actually living our lives day to day reflective of what is on our dashboard mm-hmm. and you can look there and be like hey I've got seven work dials and no me dials or mm-hmm. no relationship dials or no mm-hmm. I said adventure is important to me where are the component parts of my life yeah. that are expressing that that's mm-hmm. why I talk about that too so that's the first half of the book 
And then the second half of the book is the world in which the DAOs exist. And so I talk about quitting, impact, money, the trades of life, lots of other bits and pieces in there as well. Oh my God, like now desperate to read this. (laughs) So, so interesting. I think we were just meant to have this conversation because I've been frantically scribbling as weight as you're talking because the language thing, and I'm an NLP practitioner, so really big into neuro-linguistic programming, which some people are really not into, that's okay. But I'm a massive believer in it because I think even if people don't call it that, people do it all the time. And it's in so much of our culture to do it, which is just that if you're really going to sit in a negative space, then you will probably achieve a negative outcome. And it's just about really changing your language, change your mindset to change the results in your life. Yeah, just I'm completely with you on that. But also the fact that you were saying that I think especially in the jobs and in the motherhood space, it's what's right for you. And something that I've always banged on about in the podcast is that I think we just need to get into more of a space whether you're a whether you're a mum or not frankly but it's just like it's my motherhood it's my choice or it's my life it's my choice and what might be right for you with your particular set of mental emotional physical financial resources that's great you do you that's fantastic I'm so glad that worked out for you but it might not work out for me and I feel like that is tied up with so many choices that we're faced with as mums and especially when it comes to going back to work because it's like you have no idea what to do, but actually, eventually, you will figure out what is right for you. And you need books that are helpful as a guide, like your book, something that's going to give you suggestions and just show you how to reframe your own life, but it's not telling you how to live it. And I think there is so much space that needs to be made for resources like that. I just think it's brilliant. Thank you. Someone asked me today whether I've ever suffered with imposter syndrome. And I can genuinely say in my career, it's not that I haven't found bits of it exceptionally difficult, and I have, but I felt in my career that like you're around long enough and you realize that everyone else is just trying to work it out too. Yeah, everyone's winging it. Everyone's winging it. <laughs> everyone's winging it. <laughs> but writing the book, I was like, oh my gosh, who am I? to think that anyone would care what I have to say and it was like such a humbling experience writing Mm. it and then such a scary experience putting out there and then as people start reading it my biggest fear that I didn't want to write something that only worked for women like me and I hope it works for women like me Mm. really hope it works for like lots of different types of people in different Mm. walks of life and so when I get that feedback which I have since it's been out it's just been really wonderful Mm. well I'm excited to see where it all goes because it hasn't been out for that long right it's been it came out at the end of april april 23 yeah okay so i'm really conscious of your time so i'm gonna try and pick a good question to close which is really tricky because i've got a couple that i want to ask you but i guess this whole podcast and the springback guide is all about going back happy to whatever that back looks like basically is there one particular piece of advice that you would give mums who maybe haven't been through it yet or maybe are back at work and are feeling really unhappy is there a single piece of advice I think if you haven't been back yet and I think the dread in the last couple of weeks of leave before you go back you're like how am I ever how is this going to work am I going to enjoy it my experience and I have so many friends who it's true for as well it just gets better it can be like (laughs) best combination of things so you never know but the best bit might just be about to happen for you Mm. and look I think if people are struggling there's a whole bunch of really great research from psychologists that proves that passions aren't found they are developed the big part of our culture at the moment is if you find your passion you never work a day in your life and the reverse of that is true like you work to find your passion. (laughs) You, it's not lost down the back of the sofa. You haven't failed because you haven't discovered it yet. And so if you're feeling a little bit lost and it feels like work, doesn't mean you're doing the work wrong or you're doing the work 
or the wrong work, there might be some other bits and pieces that can get sorted out too. Like, do you have those other dials on your dashboard that light you up, that make you feel like the best version of yourself? I think we put a lot of pressure on work to be this like all encompassing giver of meaning and money and status and provision for our family. And like, it's really hard to find a job. I'm not sure a job like that exists. And so if your work is missing something, you can find a way to put it into your life in a different way. And the last thing, piece of advice I'd say is like, I don't think we talk enough about like the how of work. There's a million different ways to be a writer or be a salesperson or a teacher, whether you're doing those things in person or virtual or in an office or on a beach or I think the day-to-day rhythms matter a lot. And one of the things that surprised me about having children, people talk about working flexibly and it makes me giggle because kids are the least flexible monsters known to man. My life is so scheduled now. Like I can tell you exactly what I'm doing at 6.45 every day. Oh, yeah, I can tell you exactly what I'm doing. Like 6.45 a.m., 6.45 p.m. Like it's so in many Your ways. Your clock is not yellow yet. Go back to bed. About <laughs> <laughs> that, like exactly. And yeah, so you that. might, yeah. we've talked about Jolie so many times, banging the table for flexible working. Yeah. Absolutely. But actually, you might not need the flexibility that you think you need, because your life is going to be scheduled up the yin yang. Mm. Once you've got kids, and once you've got kids in school, it might be seasonal flexibility you need, it Mm. might be the income to afford the childcare, or the help around the house. There's so many different versions of the how of work and how of life that might help you find that sense of fulfillment. I love that. So passions aren't found they're developed completely agree and then also just wait a little bit for the how and the fact that there might be different versions of that how and again it's just remembering whoever is listening to this and thinking oh but she did it and it's just like don't mind about what she is doing just try and find the way that works for you and there might be a different how that you don't even know exists yet that you're going to find out so be open-minded because it might be better than you expect it might I think people always think oh it might be worse than I expect but it's like but what if it isn't what if it's better you don't actually know what's going to happen parenting I think like careers just get better yeah and I talk about the progressively less shit years the first five years of most careers worth doing are a bit shit and they get progressively less shit and I realized with the book and maybe probably with parenting I'm like in those progressively less shit years and I look at the people that get to parent adult children I think that looks pretty awesome that looks fun Um, yeah I really appreciate your time so, so much. And it was such an epic conversation. Thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom, your experiences, everything. And it's out now. Go and buy the book. I'm about to. It sounds fantastic. So I'm really looking forward to reading it. The book is Shifting the Dials. I am on Instagram, Rebecca Davies. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I'll check in with you soon. You made it. You've reached the end of the Springback Guys podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate it five stars to join everyone else in spreading the word about how to go back to work happy and confident after your baby. You can find me on Instagram at Springback Guide, or if you're feeling really inspired, head to springbackguide.com to go for it and invest in yourself. Okay, see you soon.